0: and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. Well, Corey, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. I am uh, pretty tired. I got back (laughs) from... Jerusalem. I flew back from Jerusalem last night. Yeah, what, boy, ten, boy, Boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> ten, 10 days um, in the Holy yes, Land? Yes, we yep. were uh, in the Holy Land for 10 days. We had a very large group, about 40 people. Just really tremendous experience. Yeah, that's and amazing. It is. I'm going to be recording here. Uh, once I get catch up on my sleep and everything, I'm going to record some notes that I that I made of some Holy Land diaries and some really, uh, I think, interesting reflections on the things that we saw there and what they have to teach us about the Catholic faith. So we're recording this right before Palm Sunday, and coming out of Holy Week, I thought it would be interesting to reflect on the resurrection and the life that comes out of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So we're going to record this evening something that I think kind of plays into that a bit, and that is St. Francis of Assisi's Canticle of the Creatures, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes called the Canticle of the Sun. Right, right. The brother, son, sister, moon, poem, or whatever. It's been called a number of different things. Right, right. But I think properly it's called the Canticle of the Creatures. Mm -hmm. So this episode will be released on the day after Easter. Mm -hmm. And so with the resurrection fresh in everyone's mind, I want to talk about the power of the resurrection and the resurrected life. And I think the Canticle of the Creatures by St. Francis of Assisi has so much to teach us about that. This poem has always meant an awful lot to me. Um, And I've got to be careful because, you know, we don't have enough time to talk about St. Francis and Assisi. Sure, there's too much. It's just, there's too much. And St. Francis and Assisi are a a huge interest of mine. I've been there four or five times. I have just an incredible fascination with St. Francis, admiration, admiration. And his story and Assisi and everything that surrounds the amazing story of St. Francis. And for anybody who wants to know that story and to become excited about it, there's probably few people in history that have had more books written about them (laughs) than St. Francis of Assisi. Good, bad and ugly. Yeah. But if you're looking for just a short book, and I would put it on a, a short list of the best short books ever written. And that is G.K. Chesterton's short biography yeah. of
1: Saint Francis. It's maybe a hundred pages. Oh yeah, it's not long, um, but it's profound, and it, and it bears meditative reading. Um, you you share that admiration of Saint Francis with Chesterton. I mean, he admired him from early in his life um, before he was a Christian, before he was a Catholic. Um, Saint Francis was was with Chesterton too. Yeah, and as the years have gone on, my fascination and admiration
0: and devotion to St. Francis you know, has only grown. And I think visiting Assisi a number of times uh, has only made me feel that, that more profoundly than I had before. And to that point, one of the things I wanted to say about this particular poem, give a little bit of context, is and we'll get into how it was written and mm-hmm. the circumstances of writing a little bit, but it was written at the Chapel of St. Damien or the Capel San Damiano or whatever, which is a, a little chapel about a quarter mile outside the city walls of Assisi.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when whenever we go to Assisi, or whenever I take a pilgrimage group or take people there, for me, one of the highlights of the trip, I hope it is for them as well, is we go down to the Chapel of St. Damian and we sit in the garden where this was written and then we read it together there. Mm. Uh, so this is always this canticle of the creatures has always meant an awful lot to me. And I just have, you know, very striking feelings about it memories about it. So anyway, that's a a lot of wind up. It's something that almost everybody, I'm going to have you read it for us here a moment. And almost everybody has heard some version of it because mm-hmm. in some ways, it's the kind of thing that ends up on posters. Right. It, it's and, very quotable. Um, it's not very long. Right. And it's, it's, I think used in, in, in a lot of different contexts and some of them are valid and some invalid. But without any further ado, let's just go ahead and why don't you read it for us? Okay.
1: Most high, all powerful, all good Lord, all praise is yours, all glory, all honor and all blessing to you alone. Most high do they belong. No mortal lips are worthy to pronounce your name. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day and you give light through him and he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Be praised, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars in the heavens, you have made them bright, precious and beautiful. Be praised, my Lord, through brothers, wind and air and clouds and storms and all the weather through which you give your creatures sustenance. Be praised, my Lord, through Sister Water. She is very useful and humble and precious and pure. Be praised, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you brighten the night. He is beautiful and cheerful and powerful and strong. Be praised, my Lord, through our sister Mother Earth, who feeds us and rules us and produces various fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Be praised, my Lord, through those who forgive for love of you, through those who endure sickness and trial. Happy those who endure in peace, for by you, most high, they will be crowned. Be praised, my Lord, through our sister bodily death, from whose embrace no living person can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Happy those she finds doing your most holy will. The second death can do no harm to them. Praise and bless, my Lord, and give thanks and serve him with great humility. Thank you. Now, there's probably phrases in there
0: that our listeners have heard before. Certainly. There have been hymns and other Christian songs, all creatures of our God and King. Uh, and there's uh, yeah, there's three or four or five other hymns or songs that have been based on this. And it's, been like I said, used in everything from posters to coffee mugs to a thousand other things. So this whole idea of brother, son, sister, moon, mother Earth, mother is Earth is a very common phrase, right? All these kinds of things have have really kind of crept into uh, our ordinary language. And I think one of the things that I want to talk about in this conversation is how I think that for us as sort of modern twenty first century americans or europeans we appreciate some of the language and we in some ways appropriate this language but we often mean something different by it than what saint francis meant when he wrote it Mm -hmm. we'll get back to the conversation in just a few moments but first i'd like to ask for your support in producing and expanding this podcast it's produced by a 501c3 nonprofit ministry called One Whirling Adventure with a mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. Now, the production budget of this podcast isn't big, but it is real. We've set a goal of 40,000 worldwide downloads in 2023 with a crowdfunding goal of $35,000 to make that happen. Would you help us make that happen? If so, please go to consideringcatholicism.com. You can see our GuideStar charity rating there and donate online with a one-time or recurring gift. And if you have a business or organization interested in sponsoring our ministry, please shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Thank you for listening and considering helping us to help others consider Catholicism. And now, back to the conversation.
1: You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean I mean, maybe a, a good place to start on that is a little bit just about the, I think, sort of the background here. and And there's the immediate background of, like, what who St. Francis was and the situation of his life when he wrote it, which we can get into. But I think it's interesting to consider sort of the, the scriptural background or, or context in which he writes this, because you have Psalms in the Old Testament, which, which detail the, the creation giving praise to God. Most famously, perhaps you have the Canticle in Daniel, where it's, um, it's this long litany of sun and moon, praise the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. And it goes through all of these different things in creation, animals and plants and inanimate objects and people. And so he's writing out of this tradition and in all of it, it's that God is being praised and all of the things in creation, all of the things that God has made give him praise, each in their different ways, um, from, from sort of the lowest mineral to, through plants and animals up to mankind. And so in a way, St. Francis is kind of coming out of a, a tradition that, that's scripturally based. Um, and I think that helps you understand where he's coming from. And and what he means by a lot of this. So as we've talked about before, there's
0: a preposition in all of this that's Mm -hmm. critical. And by preposition, I mean the part of grammar. Right, right. That preposition is the word that falls somewhere between praise and the object, uh, sun, moon,
1: whatever. Mm -hmm. Right? The thing doing the praise. Yeah. Well, or, well, yeah, Talk about that. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah.
0: Right. So sometimes this gets interpreted or translated or paraphrased as praise God for sun, moon, stars, right, right. whatever. And that's a natural instinct, right? Wow! Look how beautiful the sun and the moon and the stars and the grass and all and, and that—and not
1: are. a bad one, of course. We should be thankful for these
0: things. Right? Yeah. So praise God for making these wonderful things. But if you really think about it, right, that makes God an instrument mm-hmm. for to the end. What we really care about is the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and how pretty the earth is and how much we enjoy the na- nature mm-hmm. and all that. And we're super thankful to God that you know He gave us all this great stuff. Right. It's it's to put the gift in the, in the highest place. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And to make it a gift, which in some sense it is, but to make that the intention of God is to make beautiful things that make us happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And it goes back to this notion that in, in a sense, the ultimate end is for us to be happy and that God exists to provide things to make us happy. And so he gives us sunshine and mo- moonlight and green meadows and all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. But that preposition, which we would say for, so th- praise God for these things is not actually what St. Francis wrote. Mm-hmm. And it, one might be excused because St. Francis wrote this in a local dialect at the time. He, he lived in Assisi, mm-hmm. which was uh part of the region of Italy called Umbria, uh, now called Perugia or the the county of Perugia or the province of Perugia. But Umbria, you wrote this local Umbrian dialect. And the word is per, P-E-R in Umbrian. And that sounds like the Spanish word por, Mm -hmm. P-O-R. And in Spanish, por means for, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But per means something more like through, not for. Now, for those of you who are lost because it sounds like a grammar (laughs) lesson, here's the difference between those sentences. Praise God for brother, son, sister, moon, or praise God through brother, son, sister, moon. Mm -hmm. And the real difference there is that In the first, the praise is sort of going through God to land on the brother, son, sister, moon. Mm -hmm. Thanks, God, for the cool present that you gave us in this beautiful world. Mm -hmm. In what St. Francis wrote is to say that we are praising God through appreciating the things he made that the direction of it the ultimate end of that praise is at the creator.
1: Mm-hmm. Well yeah and and it, it involves the created thing uh the brother son sister moon or the water or fire or something in the praise. There's a sense in which God is being praised through that thing. It's not a it's not a rational creature like us but but through our praise it's kind of involved in that and God is being praised through all of his creatures and and all things are being directed towards him.
0: Well, that goes back to what you're saying about that passage in Daniel, Mm -hmm. right? The great canticle in Daniel, where the the things that God has made are praising him. Mm -hmm. They are all shouting out in a concert of praise to their creator. And as you said, St. Francis is drawing on this tradition of literature, biblical literature like that, Mm -hmm. and saying, look, all of the creation brother son sister moon all of this water earth is all crying out to its creator in a song of praise and we join into that concert mm-hmm.
1: well and and by emphasizing he's using that familial language of brother and sister and mother and all of that it emphasizes that that we are creatures right that we're that's why this is called the canticle of the creatures so it's
0: emphasizing our creatureliness right. it's we're putting us into all of this yeah and it's putting us in that context So we are part of this concert of praise reaching upward to God. Mm -hmm. And it's not that God decided to, that he loves us so much that he gave us a pretty world and we're sending him a thank you note as much as we are part of this creation, this multifaceted creation, which all cries out in a song of praise. And that's why I wanted to talk about this, you know, the day after Easter for our listeners, because what we celebrated yesterday by the time this airs Mm -hmm. is right this new resurrected life and that in the resurrection the creation is in a sense being renewed (laughs) christ through the resurrection is the first fruits of renewal of a new heaven and a new earth that will ultimately rise up and give a concert of praise
1: to god yeah and i think that that sentiment or sentiment is, is not strong enough a word. It's not just feeling, but that, that idea is reflected even in the church's liturgy. Because on Sundays, you have that canticle from Daniel sung in, in, the, in the liturgy of the hours. And Easter, of course, is the highest Sunday, the proto-Sunday. It's why every other Sunday matters, the day of the resurrection, when Christ begins the new creation. It's the first day of that new creation, the first day of the week. And for the whole week, because Easter is celebrated as an, as an octave, it's like a whole week of Sundays. And we'll sing that canticle of praise of the whole creation every day as the whole creation rejoices in its renewal in Christ's resurrection.
0: Right. I want to go back to that idea. First, first there's Christ, the first fruits, and then everything else. and it And it points us forward to that. Uh, moment in revelation 21 when john sees a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven the old earth had passed away and now there is no more warning or weeping or crying and he sees the heavenly jerusalem coming down where god will dwell with man and man with god right and in that heavenly jerusalem are the trees of of life and the river and the river of life and the trees of life right which adam and eve were kicked out of the garden so they could not consume right and live forever in sin but now it is abundant and it's for the healing of the nations. And mm-hmm. what we have is an image of a renewed creation that sings uh, to its creator
1: in, in sort of the beatific vision as a right. concert of praise. Yeah, well, and and St. Francis has this instinct and, and I think it's emphasized at this time of year um, by the church in, in Holy Week and in Easter that that Christ's redemptive action it implicates the whole creation, the whole universe. There's this Beautiful hymn uh, that's sung on uh, Good Friday as part of the liturgy um, that's talking about the cross and Christ's sacrifice in the cross. Um, It has this line that that always really strikes me about Christ's blood washing uh, earth and stars and ocean tide. Um, That it's not just humanity; um, it's it's everything that that Christ's sacrifice washes everything, and His resurrection brings new life to everything. Literally, it was just forty-eight hours ago that I
0: was at the church of the holy sepulcher in Jerusalem
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is built over the site of Christ's uh, death and resurrection mm-hmm. and sort of the highlight of that experience is not only to put your hand and touch the rock of Golgotha where the crucifix you know was was settled uh and where he died but then in that same church to go a little down uh, below that and be able to literally touch and kiss the slab from which he rose in the tomb And when you do that, you know, there's a line for hours that you have to wait in because people from all over the world, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, every tribe, (laughs) tongue, language, and nation is there and they all want to come and touch it. And they have for thousands of years and because there's no place on this planet that's more significant in terms of it, it, right? Because this is the central claim central claim truth claim of christianity paul says in first corinthians that if there is no resurrection then this is all pointless then we might as well give it all up this is the claim of christianity this is its central truth claim Mm -hmm. that jesus that tomb was empty that slab is empty and that his rising means not only that we will rise but that all creation will rise and be transformed and and that his he is the first fruit. He's the deposit. He's he's the beginning. He's the catalyst. He's the spark that will light the bonfire. And as you say, Saint Francis here is is wanting to join into that concert of praise. You know, Jesus says at one point on Palm Sunday, they tell uh, yes, the Jews, okay. the Jews, and we, you know, just a few hours, uh, forty-eight hours ago, we walked the path down from the Mount of Olives down through uh, the Kidron Valley and back up to Jerusalem. So we walked the the, the Palm Sunday path. And as you come down that hill, you come to the place where, you know, Jesus said, they said, you know, make your your followers stop shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. How could I I make them? Because even the rocks, if they do not cry out the rock, even the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Hosanna, Hosanna, praise. And so St. Francis is not some proto hippie. Who just decided to write some kind of like, you know, hippie? I love boy. I love trees and water and sunshine. What he really is doing is, in a very profound biblical way, drawing us into this massive concert of praise from the creation.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, as you alluded to earlier, we come at this um, as so many things from our own modern perspective, and, and we see kind of what we've been conditioned to see because we're the heirs of. Uh, well you you mentioned hippies, but before that the romantic movement yep, yep. and um, any any number of currents um right. and, and modern environmentalism and, and it's not that there's you know that every part of that is bad or that nothing nothing can be redeemed from it, but we we come at it through those eyes and and that can make it hard for us to see because there are things in the canticle or in this whole tradition of the church that we find really appealing because of our our sensibilities, um, our love of nature. And of course, it's not a bad thing to love nature. It's it's God's creation. St. Francis clearly loved it. If he was going to call it brother and, and sister. And we have in the church, like the, the tradition or the the way of talking about the cross is the tree of life. Um, you alluded to the tree of life in, in uh, well both Genesis and Revelation, but that, that the cross is the tree of life um, or um, seeing poetically in, in Christ's, Wounded side, the the water and blood coming out of it, as as that river that that heals the nations. The, these kind of things really appeal to us, and certainly there are currents of that in in the Canticle. But then you get to things at the end, which to the modern reader um, sound pretty harsh and and seem like a bit of a buzzkill, um, where he's talking about bodily death, where he's talking about woe to those who die in mortal sin, but but all of this to emphasize um, happy those who find themselves doing god's will and that the second death will not harm them that they will be able to participate in this new and renewed creation a couple things there one is that chesterton book that we mentioned
0: earlier mm. that short biography of francis francis which like I, like we said is you know on the short list of <laughs> of short short books yes. you know chesterton there talks about how the classical civilizations greece and rome or whatever the pagan civilization's had a very different understanding of nature. They saw nature either as capricious and dangerous, ruled by gods. Um, who didn't really care about us. Who didn't really care us, or sort of seductive. Nature played a very different role. We don't really have time to unpack all that here, mm-hmm. but nature played a very different role in their worldview and their imaginations. And, and he points out that it it wasn't, and so there's a lot of nature language in Pagan religion and a lot of discussion of nature, but how the pagans understood it and what they meant by those references to nature, were very different than what St. Francis is talking about. And Chesterton says, "Look, it wasn't until you know, Rome had to fall and there had to be, you know centuries of sort of purging the Western imagination of all of the, the sort of classical, pagan understandings of nature. For St. Francis to show up and be able to now talk about sort of nature in a different way and to put it in a different context and and to put it in the context we're talking about in terms of a biblical understanding and And I think what we've got going on now, and you you know you rightly point out that not all of those contemporary appreciations of nature are in and of themselves bad, but much like the the classical pagan understandings of it. But today, we, nature plays a very different understanding, mm-hmm. uh, or a, different, or a very different role in our understanding, a very different role in our worldview. And St. Francis, I think, in the Canticle of Creatures, is, is really expressing something profoundly biblical. And it really is, if understood at odds, it, it's very hard to squeeze him into our 21st century postmodern Love of nature.
1: Yeah, no, he's a challenge to it or a corrective to it. Because, I mean, we look at this, and, and especially when you get to like sister Mother Earth, we forget about the sister part. And the typical modern attitude is to just talk about Mother Earth, which is either purely metaphorical um, because we have a materialistic worldview or becomes a sort of new kind of paganism.
0: Well, Well, yeah, I mean... Be careful here, but like a lot of this stuff about Mother Earth, the the problem is again, Mother Earth really is an ancient pagan understanding, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so the ancient Greeks had a notion of Mother Earth or whatever. But here's the thing: you can see why. Well, you can see why, right? But within those, what you really have is the Earth itself, or nature itself, or the universe itself is god right it's a a sort of pantheism that all life springs naturally forth from this source and that was the ancient pagan understanding of when they say mother earth or the mother universe or whatever that in
1: a sense the universe is self-generating well sure because yeah those ancient um even their creation narratives didn't have a sense like christianity in Judaism where God creates the world, the ex nihilo from right, nothing. That exactly. Ma- matter is eternal. The earth is eternal. The gods have a certain role to play, especially right. sort of the father type gods. Right. And life is self-generating from,
0: from, from the universe. And so I think we have to be really careful. I guess when we talk today about mother earth or mother nature, we have very much, a, we, we are very much approaching a sort of neo-pagan understanding of it. When he, when Saint Francis talks about, you know, brother, son, sister, moon, and he mentions Earth and sister, mother, and so forth, he's not saying that we spring from these things. He's simply seeing a family relationship to them. So he's not saying Mother Earth because she's the source of us. Mm-hmm. Any more than he's really saying that the sun is our brother or the moon is our sister. What he's really talking about is that we are in a familial relationship with those things, not that they
1: are our source. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, you can see why mother is a fitting metaphor for the earth because things do come forth from it. It is fertile. Um, And so you you can see why he would say that and why many people before him and since have but he appends sister to it. So right. yes, she, the earth anthropomorphized is our mother, but she's also our sister. In that sense, she's she's equal to us in the sense of her, all of us being creations right, but, of God, the father.
0: Right. Back to the, our thing about the preposition, mm-hmm. right? Look, it's that all of this is ultimately directed through toward God, mm-hmm. through nature toward God. So in other words, yeah, the earth may be our mother, but, we with our mother and our brothers and our sisters and everything else are all praising the real source, which is, so in a sense, we stand alongside, Mm -hmm. not beneath that. Right. As we kind of wind down here, I I always want to talk about the circumstances under which this was written, which I think also gives some context to it. Mm. So there's a common notion that Francis wrote this when he was young. Here's how the sort of mythology of St. Francis on this goes that he was this young rebel who fell in love with God and he ran around the hills of Umbria, Perugia through meadows with flowers in his hair. They actually made that horrible movie, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, where this is exactly what he does. He's kind of a young, kind of proto hippie and he's running around with, and, you know, s- you know looking at the smiling at things and, you know, just being kind of like goofy and, writing this, you know, song of praise to nature, right? The reality is that he wrote this at the very end of his life. He was sick and blind. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had uh, had the experience of the stigmata at that point. So he had kind of these continuous bleeding wounds. Right. He had experienced in a very profound way the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. And he had been through some other very difficult physical experiences Traveled to the Middle East and back and uh, had some other experiences in a life that his health was somewhat broken. And he had somehow developed uh, some kind of an eye infection or an infection in both of his eyes. And the story goes that the only way that they could sort of cure the infection was they literally cauterized his eyeballs. So they burned his eyeballs out with a hot poker. And there's a story, and I don't know how much of this is accurate because there's a lot of legendary stuff around St. Francis, but I think this comes from a more reliable source is that the bit there about Brother Fire or whatever, but Fire, part of that comes from when they heated the hot poker mm-hmm. and he's praising fire and he's praising these things. So, anyway, here he is. He's, he's sick, he's blind, uh, he's wounded. And he comes back to the chapel of San Damiano, where his friend Claire had uh, was staying with the the sisters of uh, the poor Claires, and that they prepared a space for him to to stay and sleep and he uh he went out into the garden, and when he wrote this, he couldn't actually see the sun mm-hmm. and the stars and whatnot. He was doing this through kind of his memory and imagination, and I think it's just really poignant to think not about. A vibrant young person who's, you know, in the flower of their youth running around enjoying nature writing, you know, happy praise to nature. But a saint who's very close to God and has lived a a life of poverty and asceticism and illness and bears the stigmata who in a sense nearly with his last words and weren't his last words, but nearly with his last words is really reaching out to praise God and is praising the creator for his creation, even though he himself in a sense is not able to enjoy that.
1: Well, yeah. And it, and it highlights the fact that the creation praises its maker sort of separate from our perception of it or our, our feeling of it. And it it is good to enjoy the, the good things of creation, but that it's not, sort of contingent upon our feelings, like God be praised because I'm really excited right. about being at the beach right now with the sun and the water and everything. It's Those things are giving glory to God when I appreciate them, when I can't appreciate them. Exactly. You know, and
0: uh, obviously being blind, he, he didn't write this with his own hand, but mm-hmm. dictated it. And the bit there at the end about praising death bodily death you know the story is that that last verse was added a few days or a few weeks later when he really was going to die and he had gone back a mile or so uh, down the hill to the Porta Uncula, where the franciscan brothers his brothers were and that that last bit right before his own death was added and the story is that the first time that this canticle was sort of sung or performed was at his essentially at his funeral when the other brothers had then taken it and, and, and sang the canticle. And so it really becomes, I think, a, a humbling thing to, as you say, realize that someone who, who isn't just giving thanks for, you know, pretty sunsets and green fields because I really enjoy them. But someone who has really humbly seen himself as a creature and as a part of this creation, regardless of his own circumstances. And, and wants to cry out with and through that creation, praise to the creator. Mm-hmm. Closing thoughts, Corey.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it just bears reading again. I think I'm going to have to go home and, and read it again through and, and meditate on it because first and foremost, it's a prayer. And the, the poetry and the imagery is at the service of praising God and glorifying him and And I'm just settling, as i'm I'm looking at it here, more and more on those last couple of stanzas, where it it brings it all home to endurance and sickness and trial and um and forgiving and and uh, doing God's will and not being harmed by the second death. Um that's the part that doesn't get talked about as much. But that's really where the rubber meets the road and what we can actually do about it in, in our lives, which often incorporates some kind of suffering. So I'm going to have to dwell on that. Yeah. Well, it's the Monday
0: after Easter, and we can all look forward to the new life that, is, that comes in Christ and is promised uh, to us, and that there will come a day when all the creation sings in concert and
1: prays to God. Happy those she finds doing your most holy will. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Corey. Thanks. Thank you for listening.
0: My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at Considering Catholicism.com.